0: Hi, I'm Brian
1: and I'm Michaela and this is Drink the Movies,
0: a podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it.
1: Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies.
0: Well, hello and welcome to episode 93 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here, as always, with Michaela. Michaela, it was just Labor Day weekend here in the United States. We celebrated all of the people who do all of the jobs uh, by taking the day off on Monday. So, what did you get up to? It was a long weekend. Anything fun?
1: Yes, I went to the beach. I saw my brother. That was awesome. Um, I went down to uh, Myrtle Beach, which mm. uh, I had always thought was just known for the Carolina Shag movie, Myrtle Beach. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it's known for so much more. The beach was beautiful and it actually wasn't that crowded. I I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It was really lovely to catch some waves and hang with the family, um, and, and watch a lot of series finished, finished up, uh, severance, um, started, oh my gosh, started the, the new Lord of the Rings, uh, the ring of power Mm -hmm. that came out
0: the first two of those dropped, I think, um, on Friday night, maybe, uh, something, something for the weekend. So they came out. Yeah. So, uh, watch those. So what about, uh, any good drinks? Were there good drinks
1: flowing down in Myrtle beach? There were a couple of good drinks. We, uh, lots of sweet stuff. There was, there was a lot, uh, there was a shark bite that basically looks like our blood in the water. Um, I think, uh, you guys can all look back. It was, uh, June of 2021, we covered blockbuster films. We we covered Jaws Mm -hmm. and um, the drink was basically the exact same thing, except it actually had like a little gummy shark in it um, that you could go find with your mouth. (laughs) Um, And that was cool. That was neat. Um, Yeah, it was it was good. Uh, Lots of we did a lot of Aperol spritzes, though, because Uh, that's the thing to be doing on a summer day.
0: That is the perfect thing for the summer. Yeah, and it is still hot here, of course. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we had some friends in from out of town because we went to see a concert. Michaela, we went to the concert. You didn't even tell people at that about that. We went and saw the red hot chili peppers. That was uh pretty exciting. That was a good it time. Sure uh there's there's been a lot of music in our lives lately. Um, not so many movies as we're waiting for kind of this next slate of releases to come up and we start getting more into uh Oscar season, award season. I think like the Venice Film Festival is going on uh right now as we speak. So uh, you know, uh gonna be pretty excited about getting that list of uh, films that we're gonna have to start covering but yeah caught up uh, Lord of the Rings Uh liking it a lot so far it looks gorgeous every shot's just like hey remember how much money we spent on this yep here it is in full glory so yeah uh, So yeah, so be watching that at home and let us know if you're uh, checking out any of those new series um, and let us know what you did over Labor Day. But for now, Michaela, we are going to be going back to the year 1982 slash 2019. We are going to be talking about one of the most famous, one of the most uh, beloved, uh, one of the best. Sci-fi, uh, just masterpieces from Ridley Scott. So we're gonna have to take a quick break. We we made up four cocktails. Go back to the lobby bar, listen about the first three, but we're we're coming with the big guns this week. The Deckard. So we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back to mix up this week's cocktail.
1: So this week's cocktail comes from uh, Mantrippin.com. dot It's uh, it was created. This cocktail uh, it, it's it's kind of a it's kind of an homage. There's a whole group of cocktails that uh, pay homage to both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Um, mm-hmm. This one was created uh, by Ezra Starr. Ezra, you're a genius. We love this cocktail. It is called the Deckard. It is beautiful. It is really uh, interesting looking. And it's also not super hard to make. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to yeah. just dive right in.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, if you are a fan of matcha tea, you probably have uh, most of the stuff to get there. You might need to pick up a uh bottle of pineapple juice, but yeah, otherwise this one is not too hard to put together. Um, you know, and like Michaela said, this was a big spread that they put together for uh Blade Runner. Uh, it was when 2049 came out. Uh Johnny Walker made like a limited edition of the exact kind of that angular squared bottle that we see in Blade Runner and they put together all these cocktails with some uh, very famous and uh, very excellent cocktail makers to put these together. Uh, We actually did four cocktails for this but we covered the first three in the lobby bar uh, you know for the the Labor Day weekend so go back and listen to that. Um, You can find out those first three but today we are making the Deckard which is the most apt um, as we're going to be going on a journey uh, with Mr. Deckard as we hunt for some replicants uh, here as we get into the movie. But this cocktail, delicious, easy to put together, just like Michaela said. Uh, Take it away.
1: All right. We're going to start with one and a half ounces of the Johnny Walker Black Label. We're going to add half an ounce of fresh lime juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. For anybody who uh, has never listened to this podcast, welcome. We use a lot of simple syrup here and it's real simple. It is equal parts sugar and water. Just heat it up until the sugar melts and you are good to go. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do two ounces of fresh pineapple juice. And then a teaspoon of matcha powder. Now matcha powder comes in like thirty-seven gallon tubs. Get a smaller one than that, um, <laughs> unless you love matcha or you already mm-hmm. have it because you love matcha mm-hmm. tea. Um, but that—that that was the only part that we thought was a little bit harder to find if you don't normally uh, use matcha powder, because mm-hmm. you're gonna get like half a half a gallon of it. Um, and then for for the garnish, we had a whole star anise. Um, and then a really pretty purple flower. You doesn't matter which one, it doesn't have to be edible. You're not going to eat it. You're just going to put it on top of the drink. So Mm -hmm. those are the ingredients. Um, and I thought this was actually really easy to put together because you're going to combine all of the ingredients into a cocktail shaker. You're going to shake it really well. You want to make sure to shake it real well because that matcha powder, you want it to really infuse into the drink itself um Mm -hmm. we had to shake it like two times longer than we thought because the matcha would kind of just sit at the top and it would continue to float at the top so you just need to do a really good job of that and then you're going to strain it into a coupe glass um and then garnish it with that beautiful star anise and uh, a purple flower and it's it doesn't have to be purple but it really does set it off because the color of this drink is like this beautiful dark emerald green Mm -hmm. um it really looks stunning with the color contrast
0: yeah it's it's really really pretty and uh like Michaela said one of the one of the tricks we had was getting that matcha powder it kind of clumps up I think because of the ice it kind of just like freezes together um so what you might want to do is um Actually put the ingredients in and give it a shake and then add your ice and shake it up to give it a chance to to kind of hydrate in the rest of the stuff. But yeah, you pour it out, it is green, it is beautiful, and then you take a sip of it. Um, and I don't I don't know, like you expect (laughs) in my mind when I see something green, I expect it to taste, I don't know, kind of like vegetal or uh something like that because it's this real like lush green. But but no, this is not that. It's it's all pineapple and lime. Um, you get like some notes of that uh uh matcha in there, and way hidden below all of that is Johnny Walker Black Label. I don't even know how they do it because if you drink just a drink of Johnny Walker Black Label, you're like, hmm, this is, you know, this is a, a scotch. I can definitely taste that. But in these cocktails, I don't know. It played so well with all of these other flavors. It's just kind of providing this backbone where it wasn't like super boozy. It wasn't super whiskey-y. It was just, I don't know. It was just like a, I don't know, something, something delicious going on. And I think that's probably part you know by ezra Starr and the makers of the other cocktails for sure but i think i think johnny walker is just really good at cocktails
1: yeah yeah i mean so it's the lesson here is that everything goes with johnny walker right um that's right because we we really run the gamut of something that's very boozy f- forward with the hive which we covered in the lobby bar we've done uh kind of a, a take on the Whiskey Sour. We've Mm -hmm. done this other with the Snake Dancer. We added um, some frothiness and uh, put together this other, you know, very herbal kind of fruity concoction almost. Um, We've done it all now with the Johnny Walker Black Label and it's all been really good and um, this one I I really liked because it's so strange looking and Mm -hmm. yet really delicious. I mean, we could have Done a lot more than the one or two drinks that we did of this, but we were good. Uh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We and still it- had to watch the movie. <laughs>
0: And I, and I think it's worth searching out the matcha just for like the uniqueness of this being like, so green, um, you could probably make this without the matcha and just do the pineapple juice and the, and the Johnny Walker, you know, if you wanted to make it a little bit easier for just a a weeknight and, uh, throw this together, um, in your glass, it would still probably be real delicious, but definitely want to give this one a try and definitely give it a try. You know, you're going to need something that's really good and strange and delicious. If you're out hunting replicants, which is exactly what we're going to be doing this week as we, we go back to a classic. So Michaela, uh, grab the cocktail shaker grab the johnny walker black let's mix up another one of these and take a quick break to be right back and talk about this week's film blade runner
1: spoiler warning for blade runner if you've not yet seen any of the blade runners congratulations you are (laughs) sorry i don't mean that Uh, if you've not seen any of the blade runners (laughs) no if you've not seen any of the blade runners you should really press pause you should go drink one of the four cocktails that we have made you should set up your favorite version because there's like 37 of them and uh, mm-hmm, watch mm-hmm. it and uh, come back and talk about it with us because we are definitely going to get into it. We're going to get into all the versions. We're going to get into all the cocktails, um, but there's going to be lots of spoilers. So uh, you have been warned.
0: That's right. Yeah, we did. uh, We did four cocktails, which is almost as many versions of cocktails as there are versions of Blade Runner. But uh, the original Blade Runner, uh, it came out in 1982 and was directed by Ridley Scott. Um, And it, of course, stars Harrison Ford as the replicant hunting, uh, you know, ex-replicant hunter uh, Deckard uh, in our story here. Um, And, you know, there's some other characters we're going to get into as we kind of weave our way through the story. But uh, Michaela, as I mentioned, there were a lot of versions of this and the one that we watched uh, in, uh, in reference to doing this podcast. And, uh, I think the one that most people hold as like the kind of, kind of the, I don't know, the pinnacle of Blade Runners, um, is the Blade Runner, uh, final cut, which came out in 2007 and can be found on HBO.
1: Yes, it can. Um, and I think the reason why it is thought of as the most accurate of all, um, or the most canon, Uh, of all storytellings of this Blade Runner story is because it's the one where Ridley Scott still uh, retained sole discretionary um, say in what was presented. And so there's a couple of differences you know, it's really not a lot of time. It's not like we've added, you know, it's not like in Lord of the Rings where we went from a three hour film to a five hour film or anything like that. Mm-hmm. There's not a right. lot of time added, but there are some very specific shots that Ridley Scott wanted um, and a dream sequence that he wanted added in and things like that. And so we're going to get into all of it. Um, hopefully we'll do it justice because we know this is a huge cult following Um yeah. So we're <laughs> we're gonna do our very best. Try not to try not to be mad at us if we get it wrong. There, there That's
0: right. That's right. And one of the kind of endearing things about Blade Runner, um and why people like it so much is because uh Blade Runner as as the science fiction, you know, classic, there's so much kind of, kind of symbolism and foreshadowing and things that you just, you don't pick up on and things that people have analyzed, which is why, uh, this is considered to be one of the greats, because at the time that it came out, people didn't really understand it. Uh, they're like, this is kind of slow. Um, it's pretty dark. There's not like much action going on. What, what is this? People couldn't really make heads or tails of it. So when it came out, it was uh pretty cool, uh, critically, and it was pretty cool. Um, in the box office, it not make a lot of money um i mean obviously you watch it and it's uh visually it's it's very kind of breathtaking the way that this world was built out um, and it received two oscar nominations for art direction and visual effects but uh you know, people didn't know about the story. Was this any good? I don't know. But then as as time went on, people were like, Yeah, this was this was really pretty great. Yeah, this was really pretty great, and yeah, this is kind of genius. Um, and that that's one of the things about Blade Runner is you know, you can't watch it one time and get all of it out of it. It's something that you have to watch and think about and then re-watch and uh see if what you think about, you know, changes. And it's been a long time since I'd watched this, so it was kind of interesting to go back and and see it you know with a with a couple years since the last time uh that I'd seen it but um what do you think Michaela kind of the kind of the historical uh impact of this thing uh just generally here before we started to get into the the story a little bit
1: yeah for sure I think the I think the cinematography was amazing and I think that that um was not in question when it did come out people were raving about some of the shots and how you know, this is a 20, it, it was, again, it was filmed in 1982, but it's taking place in 2019. Looks nothing like the 2019 we all remember, but it's, it's this very like dark, gritty, um, you know, big city and you still have like Coke commercials and there's still advertisements everywhere, but it's very, it, we have flying cars and all sorts of things like that now, but it's super dark and that was not lost. I think people were like, I have no idea what this world is, but I kind of like it. I don't understand maybe what's happening in the film, but I do really have an appreciation for that aspect of it. Um, but I think you're right. I think the reason why um, people revere this is because it it does age well in the sense that as we get closer and closer to... Um, you know, making thinking computers and what that mm-hmm. means for the world as a society. You know what what does that mean for the computer and do the you know, and it's interesting because we've done this on the back end of Terminator Two, Judgment Day, where you know, mm-hmm. you know that had a different take on what to do with what what happens with computers when you make them kind of salient. Um, uh, so it, it's it's interesting in that way. And the fact that, you know, there's a lot of debate around who's a replicant, who's not a replicant, how how does it end, how, you know, do we, you know, there's a lot of that. We'll get into that, but there's so much of those questions, I think, Mm -hmm. and the reason why, you know, Ridley Scott kept trying to push and have his, you know, his director's cut, a final cut version out there for the masses to take and and, uh, imbibe uh, really speaks to that.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, why don't we get into this one a little bit here? So the the film opens up. Um, it is this really gorgeous, gorgeous shot. Um, you get uh, kind of two gentlemen sitting at opposite ends of this table. Uh, there's this big, huge picture window in behind them. Uh, there's this ceiling fan that looks like it. I don't know. It's probably like 400 feet wide. It's so gigantic in the shot. Um, it looks it looks incredible. But, uh, basically, uh, what we're finding out here is that one of the gentlemen is interrogating uh the other gentleman, uh, trying to figure out you know what's going on. You have this weird camera pointed at the uh, guy's eyeball you're like what is happening why are these questions so weird what is what is going on but we find out uh, a, a couple of key things there were some uh beings they're called replicants that are made by the tyrell corporation uh they have basically uh been created to uh, more or less go do all of the things that uh humans can't do right they're at like this mining colony that is unfit for humans but we can send these replicants out there to do it uh but six replicants uh hijacked the ship and came back to earth which is which is bad news um it's not the first time something like this has happened so we have uh people that are hunting the replicants um and the way that you identify them is by going through this interview um and that's what we have going on here it kind of sets up the story um and Yeah, that is how we are going to be introduced to both our both our villains, I guess, kind of villains, kind of not um, in this, uh, the replicants. And it's going to take us to our replicant hunting team. uh, And that is going to be led by none other than Harrison Ford, Deckard.
1: That's right. So and I love the scene where we meet Deckard because it's a it's a really rugged. It's Los Angeles in 2019, and it looks like uh, a real hellhole um i don't know how different it is um because it's it's got a lot of smoke there's a lot of like smokestacks above the city um Mm -hmm. but there's a chinatown and he's there trying to eat um he's arguing with the guy he's asking for four of whatever he wants and the guy's like no you can get two and he's like fine i just want whatever just give me some noodles (laughs) and he's sitting there and he's shoveling the stuff in his mouth and it looks it actually looks really tasty um there's a but i mean there's tons of people around and then he gets kind of accosted by uh uh one of his old um kind of work buddies played by edward james almost um his name is gaff and he's like hey deckard we i need you to come with us and he's like i don't do this anymore i don't need to come with you um but they end up taking him into this police station and i guess deckard's old boss says hey you know we've got these six uh replicants that have escaped they're in main society here in LA we've tracked them here but we need your help to find them um Mm -hmm. and you don't really know why uh Deckard is no longer with the force you don't know why he's no longer a blade runner um but he was the best um and the second best was in the opening shot that we saw with uh this interview that did not go well um so the, the way I guess the 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 machine works. Is it? It helps uh, you identify like an empathetic response. And if you don't have an empathetic response, then you're a replicant. They should have just asked them to yawn. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it's it's also yeah. a, a test for sociopaths. So, um, <laughs> but uh, this guy who was a replicant, you know, he it came out. It came. It showed on the screen that he was a replicant, and he ended up shooting um, the other gentleman who was telling this or who was giving the test and he was Mm -hmm. the second best so they're like deckard we really need you and if you don't do this then something really bad's gonna happen like they threaten him and it's kind of vague but deckard finally reneges and says okay i'll go search for these folks you know what i need you know what where do i need to go to start right
0: right yeah kind of kind of at the end of it he realized he wasn't going to get out of having to do it uh they do have some nice uh johnny walker there in the uh in the police station or or wherever that is in the uh, in the office but yeah he is he is back on the hook for uh tracking down these replicants so first stop is going to be the tyrell corporation uh which is uh where these replicants are made and manufactured uh you go there we meet uh obviously we meet uh, eldon Tri- tyrell who is i don't know the president or CEO uh founder of this thing uh, but we also meet Rachel who's played by Sean Young um she's there she's kind of the uh, i don't know kind of like the the receptionist secretary uh tour guide uh slash person that knows everything about the Tyrell corporation and that's who Deckard is talking to and Tyrell comes in and he's like hey I heard you were the best you were the best blade runner uh can you do the test on uh Rachel um you know and so he does and he goes through the through the test and one of the One of kind of the neat things um, here that that sets this up and really kind of gets this, like, paradigm thing going is, you know, Deckard says usually it takes, you know, 25, 30 questions if you can do, like, some background research on them to figure out if they're a replicant. But it took, like, 100 questions uh, to figure out that Rachel was a replicant, and Tyrell's like, yeah, I don't think she's figured it out yet. and you're like oh that's that's interesting um which harkens back to the book that this is based on do uh you know do androids really know that they're androids or not right? Right. <laughs> so, right so um so that's kind of that's kind of setting up the base you're like oh okay so like so obviously the replicants that came back to earth to take over they obviously knew that there were replicants but then you have replicants like rachel who who don't know they haven't figured it out yet that they're right. not really a real human
1: well not only that um but that these nexus 6 uh replicants they're the most lifelike or whatever but they also because they, they they've also been smart enough to realize that this is this isn't right or whatever they've had these uprisings they cap their life at like 5 years and so you know you're you don't know so this poor Rachel right you don't know how old she is you don't know that she knows you know that she knows that she's, she doesn't know that she's a replicant and she doesn't know how much time she has, which is kind of the human experience. And that's the whole, you know, kind of dichotomy that we have, which is, you know, she's not human, but does that matter at this point? um, Mm -hmm. Because um, does she still have value and can, you know, in in, in and of herself? Right. And so Deckard, it's an interesting uh, interview because they lower the lights they they have these really cool window shades that look very normal to us now but that scene is really amazing the way that they've got this beautiful landscape in the back and like um of the cityscape and it's really interesting and neat and yet gritty at the same time because the sun is kind of setting as they lower these shades and he's asking all these questions she's smoking a cigarette I'm not into smoking at all, but it still looks really cool the way she's doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he uh, starts asking these very strange questions. She's answering in just as a strange way. Um, But you can see that there's there's something between the two, between Decker and Rachel. And you don't know um, yet kind of where that's going. Um, So. Deckard, he's a, he's a smart guy. He just kind of leaves this alone. He certainly does not explain to Rachel that she's a replicant. Um, you know, he uh goes to Leon's uh hotel room. So Leon is the guy who basically shot up the other Blade Runner yeah. in that yeah, interview he... at the front of the at the you know the beginning of the film. Um Deckard goes and tries to look through all of the stuff that he does have. Um mm-hmm. And he finds yeah. some really interesting, that, that, that hotel room, <laughs> that whole scene is real weird.
0: That's right, yeah, he is in, he is searching uh, Leon's uh, kind of a apartment room or hotel room. Um, they're trying to figure it out, like, like Michaela mentioned is the, the replicant from, from the beginning here. Um, and he, yeah, he finds, finds some photographs that you're going through. You're like, okay, what's, what's the deal with these photographs. Um, and he also finds uh, a little scale and he thinks is like a, like a fish scale. So he's going down to like this, like, like fish market sort of thing uh, where they're basically making replicants of these animals. And they're like, no, no guy, that's not, that's not a fish scale. That is a snake scale. Uh, that's over here. Uh, this guy, he's like the best snake maker. Uh, so he's showing them the photos of um of leon and he kind of gets uh turned on he's like no that that snake was sold uh to this lady at like this uh nightclub uh strip club uh dancing club kind of thing who's dancing with this uh replicant snake um and uh so we're on our way to to make our uh next kind of uh touch point with our next replicant so this is uh what is her name her name is uh Zora. zora Yeah, so Zora is the is the snake dancer, which is where we get the name for our lobby bar cocktail. He's in there talking. Um, one of the interesting uh, things that she says to him is, uh, you know, if I could afford a real snake, I wouldn't have to be uh, dancing here. Uh, but she wouldn't have to be dancing anywhere because, bad news, she's a replicant. The chase is on. Uh, she, like, busts out of there in, like, this clear... <laughs> Uh, like like rain jacket sort of thing they are running through the streets um it uh, looks like some trouble for deckard but he gets the uh, one up on her um but bad news is that our other uh, replicant leon shows up kind of at the last minute
1: yeah so uh she um she's running through yeah this 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 outfit is really interesting because it looks like a rain jacket but it's basically a coat that she's and it's not raining she just I, I guess it's it's just see through, and I, I, I don't know. Um, it keeps twenty nineteen off of you. It's twenty nineteen, folks. It's it's a weird <laughs> version of twenty nineteen. Um, but so he's running through this like mall looking thing. Um, he's you know, Deckard is there. Um, he's you know he's ambushed by Leon who, you know, Deckard's trying to, you know, get the goods on Zora with a gun, knocks the gun out of Deckard's hand. Uh, Leon's about to kill Deckard and Rachel goes ahead and saves him by using Deckard's gun to kill Leon. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Deckard now is in Rachel's debt. Um, They, you know, there's this whole scene where they kind of pick up uh, Zora's body and they look at her one last time and um that's actually really sad um the score um that's where I first really started noticing the score the musical score for this show
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: um because they're kind of wiping the blood away from her face and um it's it's I don't know you just feel really bad um and this woman didn't really do anything she was just running trying to get away um and you know she's covered in that weird plastic stuff um right. that her coat is and I don't know. It's just um the plot definitely is thickening here because Deckard has, you know, we we've been able to neutralize half of them, but there's still there's still two left, I think, or Yeah,
0: there's yeah, so there's still two left. Um we are uh gonna go back, you know, Rachel obviously uh came there she grabbed uh Deckard's gun and uh you know got rid of, uh, shot Leon in the back of the head, basically, um, as they were kind of fighting. So they're going back to the apartment to, uh, get cleaned up a little bit. We're learning a little bit more, um, about Rachel and Deckard. You catch a little glint of, uh, of reflection in Deckard's eye as we're kind of uh going through this section it is definitely a blink and you'll miss it kind of a thing but you know if you're if you're looking you'll you'll definitely catch it which is one of the telltale signs for these replicants um you know Tyrell has like this this manufactured owl that has uh, this glint all of the other uh kind of replicants have this glint and now we've we've caught just a a very very brief uh shot of that um in Deckard too. so uh spoiler spoiler uh warning there so um we're back at the apartment we're, we're finding more about them uh i don't i don't know it's 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 a very forceful kind of kind of way that uh, uh deckard uh leans in and gives rachel a kiss but they're uh kind of kind of bonding now over over this uh traumatic shared experience He's telling her more kind of about replicants and what they are he's telling her that you know she has all of these memories but you know those aren't really her memories they're just memories that are given to replicants so they kind of understand how feelings work and uh how memories work um and things like that and then you get kind of this added scene here in the final cut version of Deckard he is having his Johnny Walker he is kind of dozing off and he is having a dream of a unicorn running through a forest
1: yeah yeah uh and it's worth noting that like five years later or four years after this film was made uh Ridley Scott does this really amazing movie about unicorns called Legend so I don't know if he was just prepping for it or what um (laughs) But there's a lot of symbolism you know uh with this unicorn i don't pretend to understand exactly what it is um but when you think about a unicorn it's a mythical creature it's 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 not real but it's it's something that is uh you take a horse you put a horn on it and so you know i think i think what what it's trying to say or what his dream is about is how replicants are um, this, you know, thing that we all know like a computer and then we add something to it like a conscience or like memories that try mm-hmm. to turn it into something else entirely. And then it and it doesn't quite work. It doesn't really exist very well in the world. And, you know, the scene where Rachel, you know, before this moment, Rachel had shown up at Deckard's apartment to fight with him about um, the fact that now she's figured out that she is the replicant, but she doesn't believe it. And he's trying mm-hmm. to explain to her, hey, the memories that you have, they are somebody else's memories that we Im- that were implanted in you. You are not real. And then he immediately regrets it because she gets so upset. And so, you know, she's having this awakening of who she is. Um, she saved his life. They have this moment where they, they kind of kiss and uh, he basically tells her to tell him that, you know, what she wants. And it, it's very strange. It's a little, I, I don't know. It's it's a little hard it's to very, understand.
0: So yeah, so so watching this was—I don't know—it was very uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> yeah, because she gets up to leave, and then he, you know, kind of restrains her, and you're thinking it's—it's it's a little bit assault-ish. Um, but then she relents, and she, you know, he's like, "Kiss me," and or tell me to kiss you, and. I don't know. I don't understand that part of it. I don't know why he gets so upset at the end, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's not anger. It's just passion, but it doesn't come across as passionate. I don't know. Um, So that that's part of it. I I don't get it, but they end up spending the night together, but uh, (laughs) Deckard leaves Rachel to sleep in the apartment. Um, She's tired um, Uh, and he gets out of there to go find the remaining replicants
0: that's right yeah we've got two more replicants uh left we've got batty who's played by rutger Hauer, and we've got uh pre who's played by daryl hannah um and they have taken up kind of residence with this uh, other character uh by the name of sebastian who's played by william sanderson uh who of course is uh sheriff bud uh dearborn from true blood of course the the best sheriff around um that's uh that's where we know him from uh, of course nowadays but yeah he's there um he's kind of like this uh I don't know, he like pulls he pulls up in like some like I don't know, like taxi or delivery car when he when he first finds pretty but but then we go back and we find out he's kind of like this this engineer kind of guy who's maybe on yeah. the outs with the with the Tyrell Corporation. We're not 100% sure uh, what his deal is, but what his deal is for sure is that he makes a bunch of creepy uh, uh come to life dolls. I don't like it. Uh, it's very unsettling. Uh I I don't want to be there. I don't want to live there uh batty and pretty that's a sure sign that you're not a real person because he wants to live there with all these creepy things <laughs> yeah
1: right um yeah so sebastian like um he lives in this really strange like old um hotel too he lives on like the 37th floor of this hotel no one else is living there it but it's got um it's, it's
0: kind of awesome Except for the creepy things.
1: Except for the creepy things. I mean, and the fact that it's super run down. I don't know if they have running water. I mean, there's a lot. I have a lot of questions. But they find him because um, these, the Batty and Pris are uh, trying to figure out, they need to talk to uh, Eldon Tyrell. They want to understand how much time they have left. They want to understand more about who they are. And um and they want to and they eventually want to assassinate Elden Tyrell because they feel that he has you know created these folks um th- these replicants and he's destroying them and that's not right and mm-hmm. um they find Sebastian by going to this replicant eye manufacturing lab laboratory and they end up talking to uh Hannibal Chu who leads them in the way of this Sebastian character. So we meet along the way, along the journey of the replicants, you know, some people who um made parts of their bodies, right? And so it's mm-hmm. it's interesting in that way because again, you know, when you think when you look at these people, they look like humans, but they have these very machine-made body parts. And so Sebastian, he was a engineer, he was a genetic designer. Um, he's also got um, a genetic problem within him within his own uh, body because he is going to age faster. And so, you know, the makeup that they use um, on him is really interesting. William Sanderson looks much older than he actually was in 1982. They Mm -hmm. do a really good job of like um, making him look all kind of wrinkly and um, and they, you know, kind of bond. He tends to really like Pris. Pris, um, played by the amazing Darrow Hannah, she's very strange. Um, she loves this weird, like, raccoon black makeup, like, smoky mm-hmm. eye and, like, very white skin. But she's very nice to, to Sebastian. And she... Um, they kind of bond over the fact that they're they're both aging at a very increased rate her because she's a replicant and she's just going to shut down someday and him because of this genetic abnormality and so yeah it's really weird because he's got all these weird uh toys that are like <laughs> people and some of them some of them have wheels some of them walk some of them look yeah. look like uh <laughs> circus clowns i mean they're just it's very strange but that's where they're hanging out. And um, Deckard uh, gets to Sebastian's apartment. Um, he uh, is, you know, he gets up to that 37th floor or whatever, trying to find them. And it's a really good like horror film scene. Mm-hmm. Um, because Priz is using the fact that there's all these scary creatures to her advantage. And she like just covers her herself up with like a sheer sheet and just like stands or sits somewhere and freezes. And so she looks like a doll and it's so creepy.
0: Yeah, it is super creepy. Yeah. So so Deckard makes his way to Sebastian's. He's kind of followed his leads there. Um he has a knockdown drag out with Pre. Um it is uh pretty crazy. She is uh basically uh beating the crap out of Deckard. Uh it's not going great. She at one point like picks him up by his nostrils, which looks really painful. Um, I think that I, I it looks pretty legit. Like this actually happened. I don't know how they would have faked it. It looks it looks horrible, but he ends up uh, you know, kind of getting the best of Pre as she's doing like this crazy like uh somersault uh routine. He he gets a shot off um and takes care of pre but meanwhile of course we have uh sebastian has taken uh batty to tyrell corporation to basically confront um Tyrell you know he said you know he wants to meet his maker they have kind of this conversation um, which basically you know culminates with Batty uh, killing Tyrell and it's kind of symbolic because he is basically uh, you know (laughs) he's stabbing out his uh, eyeballs with his thumbs which I I thought was kind of symbolic because uh, basically the replicants have these eyes that do this little like flicker thing which is how uh, kind of the giveaway for how a replicant is different um, than a person. So I thought that that was kind of a symbolic way for yeah. uh, him to have killed him. But uh, yeah, so that leaves us with the uh, with one replicant for Deckard to find, and that is Batty. He's a, a Tyrell Corporation. Um, uh, Deckard kind of you know is trying to trying to figure out what to do next. But luckily, uh, Batty's coming back to the safe house, and they're going to have kind of their knockdown drag out in this uh, this guy's uh, I don't know apartment hotel thing that he's living in.
1: Yeah and it's really um it's really th- this part this kind of fight scene action scene is really interesting because they jump on they jump kind of from roof to roof um roy uh because he's you know superhuman i guess he can make the jump with ease but deckard not so much and i think it's at this point that if you believe that deckard is also a replicant um that you're, you realize that he also has no knowledge that he is a replicant because if he knew he was, he probably would be able to make these jumps and be able to hold himself up a little bit differently. I I don't know. There's, there's, there's a whole uh, Reddit thread that you can go look <laughs> yeah. this stuff up on um, and debate it. Um, but one, one thing that I that you do notice is that Roy is starting to have problems with his hands and, um, mm-hmm. He is noticing that, you know, um, his hands are kind of curling in on themselves. And you realize that it's because Roy is getting very close to his end date um, and he didn't have a lot of time. And so his body is shutting down and it's shutting down at a very rapid rate. Um, So there's this, of course, the culminating scene where Deckard is, you know, trying to... uh, trying to not die by hanging on the you know he's made this Mm -hmm. jump he did not make it he's hanging on the edge of this you know ginormous hotel uh ledge and roy goes ahead and saves him
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's right and roy uh goes on to say kind of that uh famous line that maybe they are more human uh than human but he saves his life and you know they're kind of at, kind of at this point uh you know decker knows that uh that Roy is shutting down so they're having kind of this uh kind of final conversation about um you know you're you're sending sending us out to do jobs that you know humans couldn't do so you know we've seen things that humans will never see right they'll never see I don't know some some nebula or something I think think that he says and um that's pretty beautiful and he's like we've got these memories but you know now all of these memories are are being washed away just like the rain because it's very rainy um in this movie in 2019 so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of this, like, I don't know, kind of encapsulating ending where you have the Replicant and the Replicant Hunter kind of coming together um, at this end. And, you know, almost you get this feeling that they're having, like, these shared experiences uh, both right now and have... Uh, had these shared experiences in the past, but you know, eventually, of of course, obviously, uh, Roy's body does does fail. So all the replicant problems are solved. Deckard goes back home. Um, you know, kind of reunites with with Rachel, and they have kind of their uh, send off there. But as they're getting ready to leave Deckard's apartment, um, he grabs her coat, and what falls out of it? It's this little origami uh, figure of a unicorn uh, that Gaff has left uh, there in the coat. Um, we've seen Gaff make some origami figures throughout the film and he loses a little unicorn uh which is the same exact thing that deckard was having his like dream uh kind of hallucination about so how did gaff know that there was a unicorn involved uh we can only s- surmise that uh gaff has uh been in the know all along about uh deckard and having these uh planted memories but uh you'll have to have to work that one out for yourself as you uh think about blade runner now for the uh <laughs> for the rest of your life trying to make heads or tails of it but uh that's that's basically it so in the final cut they basically uh, kind of rework the ending where everything is just over like this like i don't know like darkened out screen because i think in the original cut it was over like this this like happy like (laughs) like like fields of green and stuff so it's it's a much more kind of somber feeling at the end which was one of the things that really rubbed uh uh uh, ridley scott the wrong way um about the changes that they made so one of the reasons that he wanted to go and revisit this one you know a hundred times to to get it just right but that's blade runner in a nutshell michaela did we make any sense of it i don't know
1: I don't know but you know my this is my husband's favorite film one of his favorite films of all time so i'm sure we will we will get a critique on how well we covered it we probably didn't do it justice and you know yeah we're we're not we we just love we love all movies okay so we're not we're this this can only be an hour show um we could probably talk about this for hours and hours and hours i will say this i thought that um re-watching this because of course i've seen a lot of i've seen this a lot of times and Mm -hmm. it's it's this time thinking about it where gaff knew the whole time makes a lot more sense because at the beginning he's Mm -hmm. really resentful he's not kind at all to deckard when he brings him in um and he has that line where you know hey you know we we have no idea how long we have she we don't we don't know how long rachel has but you know that's kind of like everybody welcome to humanity right and mm-hmm. so at the end, it's it's almost like Gaff is telling him, you know, go, you know, go live your life, enjoy it with her because we don't know how long we have. And maybe that's the that's the thing that binds us all together, um, mm-hmm. whether we're replicants and uh, or humans. And the fact that, you know, we talked about this, we talked about what would be a really good film to do on Labor Day, where we talk about people who do all the real hard labor that. You know, a lot no one wants to do these things. Um, you know, they these these beings were created to do the jobs that no one wants to do or physically can do because of their, Mm -hmm. you know, in a place that doesn't have oxygen or something, right? right? Um, you know, do those do those beings, do those things still have value? And it it goes to like life. Does does life matter? Does all life matter or does it not? Is it just a chosen few? and mm-hmm. i really do like that part of this film because no matter what version you look at it does ask those questions
0: yeah definitely definitely and yeah i agree with you kind of rewatching rewatching it now you know as you kind of you know understand Uh, you know kind of gaff's role in all of this because that's what that's one of the things that you don't pick up on on your initial viewing and maybe even kind of viewings after but you know as you've seen it a couple of times every everywhere that deckard go basically gaff is also there um gaff is it doesn't try to help or interfere in any way he's just kind of observing uh what deckard is is doing which you know leads you to believe that uh that you know gaff is kind of in on this right that you know the best the best person at hunting uh replicants would be another replicant which which makes a lot of sense right and you know like like you said it's it's a job that you know they had to design people that could be you know really good at doing these things or could do these things at all period so uh Blade Runner uh it's uh it's it's really good we talked a little bit about it at the at the top you know it wasn't it didn't really get the kind of acclaim uh that it deserved until after the fact which is you know kind of kind of par for the course for things that are really genius because at the time that they come out you don't really understand how genius they are or they're so different or so um you know kind of kind of shift like the scale of what things um are or can be at the time until you have a little bit of time on the back side of it but i mean this inspired and changed what science fiction kind of kind of looked like for a long time we just talked a, a couple weeks back about the fifth element and the city of the fifth element Looks exactly like a like a more glossed version of Absolutely. what 2019 LA did. I mean, you know, even from the skyscrapers and the big, huge, like Coca-Cola, like moving uh, digital billboards, uh, that is like ripped, like one for one out of Blade yep. Runner.
1: Absolutely. It's so interesting, too, because there's so many films that I like. I mean, we talk about Blade Runner a lot in our household because it's my husband's favorite film, right? But when we look at stuff that I like, that's not Blade Runner it's amazing uh when we pick it apart and we see that it can be traced back perhaps uh without even meaning to uh this film because the everything from the cars to the the scene um like i said the scene where you lower the shades there's um a couple of other famous movies that have a very similar scene mm-hmm. um where you have that cityscape that's uh and the light changes and how that light bounces off of the people in the room and all of that. Um, I don't know if that was a Blade Runner thing that was just uh, inspiring to others, but it sure looks cool. And uh, that's, you know, I've not seen it since uh, done as well. So uh, yeah. for sure, I think that this uh, it, it's one of those that grows, which is, you know, in the love that people have for it, which is probably why uh, they decided to go ahead and try and do a sequel um, the sequel, Blade Runner 2049, did not do nearly as well. I don't think. I think it was kind of panned. Um, but they really wanted to give an a, a good ending to whatever happened to Deckard and Rachel because, you know, it's very open-ended where they're they're gonna be together, but you don't really know how long they have. You don't know if anybody's gonna be after going after them. You mm-hmm. know, you don't think that gaff is going to because he left the origami um unicorn, but you don't know if they're gonna be left alone in peace or um or not, right?
0: Yeah. And um one other thing I wanted to kind of hit on here real quick. So obviously, uh this is Ridley Scott. It came out in 1982, which was just three years after um Alien, which we've also covered here on the podcast. But one of the one of the kind of the driving things about Alien is just that the spaceship is kind of like visceral and how much life and sound and things that it has, and the world of Blade Runner is very similar um in that way to I think it's very, it's it's very visceral. It has a lot of its own feeling and it plays a huge part kind of in, in how the story is told and unravels. And I think that that was just kind of, uh, you know, where Ridley Scott would have been at kind of in that you know kind of kind of period of his his movie making where really you know kind of the atmospheric uh portion of the film was as important as you know kind of the rest of the film and setting the tone and i think that that's something that's carried through to a lot of filmmakers uh today so uh you know have stuff like uh, blade runner to thank for that too but uh that is blade runner in a nutshell um like i said there's a, a ton of stuff that we uh you know kind of didn't, didn't really uh skip over but you know skimmed over and a lot of uh Good sort of iconography and stuff like that. So let us know at home if you have seen Blade Runner. Kind of what your favorite uh, kind of little like Easter egg foreshadowy bits are. Let us know all of that stuff. Let us know what your favorite cut of Blade Runner is. Let us know if you saw Blade Runner 2049. And most importantly, let us know if you made any of the four Blade Runner cocktails that we whipped up for you this week. Because they were delicious. They were beautiful. And we want to see all of your pictures. Now, if you want to see pictures of the ones that we made, episode recaps, all of that good stuff, you can do that on our Instagram and Twitter. It is at Movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies if you want to get the episode recaps all that good stuff you can do that on our website which is www.drinkthemovies.com go there because the pictures are gorgeous and make sure you get uh get subscribed and leave us reviews because that helps us get drink the movies out there so michaela where can they find the podcast
1: you can find us on apple Podcasts. you can find us on spotify you can find us on stitcher you can find us on good pods anywhere and everywhere that uh supports anchor podcasts um we are there we are ready for two with two drops a week uh for your hearing pleasure um we love the community that we've been building we're so excited we um we we had the best two weeks uh ever uh the last two weeks mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, i think we're, mm-hmm. we're doing something right which is nice um or or like you know my grandmother or my grand is listening to this 700 <laughs> times i don't know um But uh, we are really excited. Uh, Please leave us a five-star review. Subscribe if you're liking what you're hearing, uh, because it helps us get all the Drink the movie stuff out there.
0: That's right. Absolutely. And if you do read, leave us a review, uh, we will definitely read it on the air. Like someone just uh, left us a review. Um, His name is uh, uh, Tony Wood. Oh, no, wait, that's Anthony Wood. Uh, It says, Brian and Michaela give insightful and intelligent reviews of films in an entertaining matter. I love the cocktails they find to accompany the films and also enjoy the lobby bar sessions too. We may have pandered for that one because uh, Anthony might be uh, married uh, to one of the co-hosts of drink the movies. um, And we were talking about his favorite movie and he does generally get to drink all the cocktails with us. So thank you, Anthony, for that review. I hope we did this episode justice for you and you know, (laughs) Michaela <laughs> Blade Runner. Uh, it's done. Um, I just looked it up. The cinematographer for Blade Runner uh, also was a cinematographer for Peggy Sue Got Married. So I guess we have good taste when it comes to how movies look. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't even know where to go with that. But you know what I do need is some more Johnny Walker.
1: Yeah. Well, um, we've got four cocktails for you to choose from. I'm personally going to make another Deckard because the the matcha is amazing. Uh, and strange, and uh, who doesn't need who doesn't need more Star anise in their life? So, uh, but I'll make you any of the th- any of the four that we've done you'd like.
0: That's right. That is our test for if we're replicant or not. Um, so we're gonna go mix up one of those. We will pick out a another movie for next week. We're probably gonna have to go with something a little brighter, maybe something in the Troll universe. So we'll do that, and we will talk to everyone next time on Drink, Drink the, the movies. movies. Do Android stream of electric sheep?